Welcome to the MMA Geeks Sea Level Podcast. This is Stan Jarive here with my co-host, Nick Braccia. Nick, how was your week? You know, I guess it was all right. I had a lot going on, a lot going on, working on the book, doing work, hanging with my kid. Um, but I'll tell you, I took it on the chin again. This was my worst last week's pick, uh, Copenhagen card, UFC and ESPN plus 18. And it was my my worst performance of the year. And the two fight you didn't do so hot either, buddy. But the two you did pick uh, the two fights that we had different correctly. And I really neither of them were particularly close. I don't really think you can make much of a case uh, for either uh, for either fighter. Vidada got uh, taken to school. Really looked. I mean, didn't win a second of that fight. And Oliveira won a you know won a couple minutes of the fight, um, and was hurt by a stand uh, a late stand up. But I don't think it would have mattered. I think Dalby had his number in the second and third round. Nick, if there was a case to be made for either of these two guys, Lord knows you would have made it with all of your heart. Yeah. Good thing the fights were clear enough for for you as far as the result. I actually thought the Oliveira fight was fairly competitive. He took the first round like I expected. And just because he spent a little more time at top position, but then Dalby did his thing. A couple of weird stand-ups by the referee at some Two. point. Two, yeah. Oliveira, yeah, Oliveira upkicked Dalby, and then the referee stood them up and just gave him a warning. Gave uh, Oliveira only a warning, but then stood them up into neutral position, even though Dalby had top position. And then, again, in the third round, it's almost like he decided he's going to make up for the mistake he made in the last round, in the, in the prior one, and then simply stood Oliveira up from top position even though he's you know wasn't he inside he was, he, was in, he was in side control wasn't he? Uh I can't remember if it was side control or half guard, but it did seem like a weird stand up. Uh again, it's almost seemed like he was trying to make up for a mistake. Yeah. If Dalby had stayed on bottom for the rest of that round, argument could be made that he could have lost that round, given up the decision. Instead it worked out for him. He hustled, he pushed it's as I expected actually, generally speaking. I expected Oliveira to win that first round because he's the more athletic guy. He's very dynamic, especially early on. But Dalby actually kept it very close in the first. And then I thought won the second and third pretty clear. Jared Cannonier, man, came through as quite an underdog. I think it was plus 250 underdog, Nick. And he came through here with a win over Jack Hermanson, who's himself coming off a huge victory over Ronaldo Jacare Souza. Jared Cannonier with a win over Anderson Silva, uh, a nice name on his record, and then a win over the number five. Jack Hermanson. He's really put himself on the map here. His overall record, Nick, is 13-4, and four, which is goddamn solid. But his UFC record doesn't look all that great. You know... Pretty damn impressive 3-0 run at middleweight, though. Yeah, he looks good. I, the fight I want, I'd want for him is... I'm not that interested in Gastelum, Darren Till. I'd like to wa- watch Gastelum fight Jared Cannon here. Yeah, I'd be interested in that. I, I tend to think Gastelum's still maybe just a hair above where can, what Cannon is ready for. I wouldn't mind seeing Cannoneer start, uh, maybe face somebody a little bit lower down on that top 10 at middleweight to get his feet under him. I mean, again, the guy is 3-0 in the last few, but he took a couple of losses in the several bouts before that. I think he's kind of figuring his style out and really getting acclimated at the MMA lab, uh, really hitting all of his tones. Uh, would be interested in a fight. I mean, look, you're right. Gastelum is only fair, especially if he's sniffing a title shot. Wouldn't mind a Jacare matchup, even though Jacare is coming off of a loss, though. Uh, what happens for Hermanson, man? He took this fight against a lower-ranked guy. He didn't really need to. What happens with him? He basically got physically kind of dominated. He did get a takedown 
Uh, Cannoneer stayed calm in that first round, stood right back up like he always does, and ended up TKOing him the moment he got top position in the second. Uh, what happens to him, do you think, Nick? Who does he uh, fight next? Let me just take a, take a quick look at the rankings. Uh, that's a tough one because Weidman's gone. Um, you know, Brunson. Brunson or Uriah Hall? I think that does make a lot of sense. Uh, I'm there with you. I think Uriah Hall would be a good get-right fight for him and against a very athletic guy, a hard hitter, maybe a way to redeem himself against the much more dangerous athletic hard hitter uh, in Cannoneer here. Ian Heinich is yeah, that's probably a, that's another good one. an option after that loss, yeah. Uh, Weidman moved up to middleweight, so, so he should kind of be removed from that top ten if you ask me. But I, I think you're about right there. Um, as far as Cannoneer, I guess you're right. Like at number five, the next guy for him would be Kelvin Gastelum. I wouldn't mind him facing somebody like a Brunson, who, by the way, is on a two-fight win streak, might not be excited about facing uh, somebody coming off of a loss. So maybe a Brunson fight. I know Brunson's a little bit lower on, on the rankings. But if he can if he can fight that excellent wrestler who can actually keep that top position, then he's certainly ready for the Yoel Romero's, the Kelvin Gastelum's, the Paul Costa's. I think the Paul Costa matchup would be the most interesting and the most exciting. I, you know, I agree. I agree. I, just don't think, I think Costa's going to... After that Romero fight, he's going to hang out and wait for the winner of this uh, of this Saturday's bout. You're likely right. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Although he he doesn't seem like the waiting type, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he you know is open to fighting a scalp that's not necessarily doesn't necessarily give him much to win. Uh, it depends if he's psych- if he's cycling on or cycling off. Ah, that's that's probably true. Well, you're not usually the one to be throwing out steroid accusations here. Well, you know, it was me, when you, you picked him, and that cost me a victory of, a few weeks ago, so he's definitely on drugs. Yeah, no, that's fair. That, I can't argue with that logic. Um, <laughs> Mark Madsen <laughs> Mark Madsen picked up a pretty resounding win over Danilo Belwardo. Um I'm curious to see Madsen against somebody good. Danilo Belwardo was clearly a gimme fight for him, and that's exactly how the fight played out. Look, Madsen could have laid and prayed for three rounds, right? But he... Really went for it and smashed them in that very first round, Nick. Can't ask for much more than a, a knockout win at 112 in the first. Don't talk bad about my Italian fighting friends. <laughs> no, it, it, it rarely goes well for them, and it actually didn't go well for never, another Italian it brother. It never goes well for today. them. Luigi, who was the guy who fought Diego Sanchez when he went to uh, welterweight? Luigi uh, Fiorent, uh Fioravanti? Uh, I, I don't remember. Uh, maybe Fioravanti, but that was years yeah, ago, right? Yeah, there's... Uh, I think I think Luigi was an American with an Italian last name, if I remember correctly. I don't think he had an um, accent. I, I followed no, that did. guy. He did have like an Legionaris, Alessio Sakara. Oh, that's right. That's way, right. Oh, he, he definitely had an accent. Way he, back he in the day. Italy, yeah. He was uh, he was he was yes, fighting sir. in the UFC so long ago. He got beat by Houston Alexander. <laughs> he yeah, no joke. He's actually I think still competing in Bellator now. He recently made his Bellator debut, Nick, and kind of you know winning and losing over there. So. Not completely, completely past his prime, I suppose. Uh, Gilbert Burns, man, picked up uh, a small upset victory over Gunnar Nelson. I certainly thought Burns had a shot. I just figured that Nelson was going to win the first. He did. I figured Gilbert Burns was going to win the second. He did. And then in the third round, much like in Gilbert's, Gilbert Burns' last uh, performance, which was also a short-notice bout against Alexei Kunchenko, he was exhausted in the third, like totally got dominated in the third, I thought. And in this case, man, he had plenty of energy in that third. It's almost like he was planning on a short-notice UFC fight and then really took advantage of it. Out-hustled Gunnar Nelson in that third round. Very impressive for Gilbert Burns, who's really making a stamp at 170. Yeah, Gunnar's ceiling, man. I don't, I don't know. He's, I don't know how to describe him. 
How would you describe that guy? Like a poor man's Jake Shields? Like I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd say that because he has an existent stand-up game. I think Jake Shields would have, without steroids, at least Jake Shields would have a lot of trouble surviving in the welterweight division top ten. Jake, uh, Jake, Jake Shields who jabbed up George St. Pierre for two rounds. I think George St. Pierre, like his eye closed up, maybe from that yeah, first I couple know, jabs. Yeah, I know. I'm being a little. And, I'm being and, a little. And he looks somewhat competitive. Yeah. But but Jake Shields, I mean, he he never truly developed a ground game. He was never explosive or or, or fast by any means. So no. he didn't really have the requisite kind of tools. Whereas Gunnar Nelson has those moments, man. Standing up, he's dangerous. He's knocked down a lot of guys with that right hand. But he couldn't do it here against Gilbert Burns, who, by the way, is the older guy. Gunnar Nelson's still a young dude. He does seem to come in hot and cold on some days. If you ask me, he had what it took to win another round over him. He just didn't quite push it. His output is often a concern. And he now moves to uh, 17 and 5. Gilbert Burns climbs to 17 and 3. Nick, there was the most fascinating moment in the weigh in between Ian Kutelaba and Khalil Roundtree. Kutelaba basically did his regular thing that he does before every fight, where he just like yells at his opponent and does the Hulk smash thing at the weigh in to intimidate him. And Khalil Roundtree literally looked perturbed and looked truly disturbed by it and then went out and fought like it. I, I knew Kutelaba had the ability to get takedowns here. I wasn't sure whether he was going to go for them, and I liked what I saw from Khalil Roundtree last time. I thought it was a pick'em fight. Um, I figured it was going to be dominant one way or the other. There's no moments in which it was going to be very competitive. One guy smashing where the other guy is, and Ian Kute Lava smashed. He he looked every bit as intimidated uh, Khalil Roundtree did right before the fight as he did for the weigh-in during the fight. You could say as well, uh, Ian Kute Lava just smashed him, man. Didn't, didn't give him a chance. Yeah, he's going to be. Uh, they're, I mean, they're both still going to be interesting to watch, but Kudalaba is uh, for real. Um, you got. I think maybe le- let's match up Kudalaba with some strikers. Like he, I mentioned that the last striker that he fought, he took him down several times in Jared Cannonier back in 2016. Ever since then, he got Enrique da Silva, uh, Godzimar, Antigulov, and Glover Teixeira, a bunch of grapplers. Let's give him a couple of strikers. He's going to flex his. Uh, ground game as well as his stand-up game in those matchups and really allow him to develop because physically the dude's the dude's truly gifted and he's still still pretty solid at 15 and 4 record nick um i, the I gas give tank him has though, been an issue I, for him. I give him i mean i guess i would like to see him fight the winner of reyes weidman but that might be a little high a little too high for him the uh, the problem is there's not there's not a lot of uh mid-tier guys at light heavyweight there's a few up around the top and then there's like you know a bunch of guys who seem like they should be ranked 18 yeah light heavyweight is developing by the way i really do think there's a lot of hot fresh talent and for chris weidman's sake i hope he's among them um but yeah it's for 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 this guy he's gonna need to get a couple more kind of lower level wins i think that's what he needs man I, i don't think he should be thrown into the fire he does have a chance. He's still a very young guy, still in his twenties. He does have a chance at being, you know, a top ten mainstay that that really becomes kind of the gatekeeper to the top five. Um, I do think he's got that kind of talent. He just needs to train with a real fucking team. Nick. Well, you don't want to give him OS. You don't want to give him OSP after that. After his uh, come from behind von Flu choke. Uh, OSP. Uh, look, he can knock out OSP in the first round. OSP is more likely probably going to submit him, especially after the performance in this matchup. But it is fair, man. They they fought on the same card. They both got pretty big uh, upset victories. Uh, you know, if if only small upsets. So it does make a lot of sense on paper, right? We're not trying to protect this guy here. So no disagreement. I think that would be a fair matchup. Maybe uh, Mikhail Olejcik can get back on the winning track against Khalil Roundtree, match these two guys up. 
uh, Obed St. Proman survived that first round where he was getting kind of beat up by the smaller, seemingly slower guy who's just just pushed forward and, and threw nonstop offense, knocked him down once or twice. Mikhail Oleksiejczyk did. But Oven St. Pru got him in that position, on, got him in that kind of guillotine position, finished with that Von Pru choke. I think it's ridiculous, Nick, that people are talking about changing the name of this submission to the St. Pru. Von Flew was the guy that invented it, Nick. He literally invented the move. St. Pru would have never I, heard of it. Yeah, had, I would I would call it the Von Pru choke and give it a little yeah, co-authorship. And, and that's what it's already called. Yeah, that's the name it has, and I think that's totally fair. St. Pru finished with it. It's not like a guy that gets 20 armbars, he suddenly gets like gets the armbar named after him, right? Like Von Flew literally invented the goddamn thing. Um, so I, I agree. I, I think Von Pru gives credence to both guys. The guy that finished four times with it in the UFC and the guy that invented the goddamn move to begin Wait, with. Wait, you mean the armbar? Um, the armbar wasn't originated by Mark Arm, the lead singer of Mud Honey. I don't. I don't think it was. In fact, I'm. I, I would be pretty surprised if he had ever put on a jujitsu gi. And Nick, I say this having no idea who the man is. Oh, that's right. You're really young. You wouldn't have heard of Mud Honey. You're just a. That's right. You're just a puppy on this mortal coil. Nick, I grew up with Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Good goddamn music. Yeah, I was already earning a, I was earning a, I was earning a paycheck when you were uh, trying to figure out if you were ready to shave. Hey, I'll have you know, I've been working since I was 11 or 12 years old, Nicola. 11 or 12. You were in that. I, was, I think I started when I was like 14. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Our, 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 your family being Italian, my family being Jewish, they just threw us out there, yeah. Nick to the Wolves to, to earn some dough for the fam. Nicholas Dalby yeah. got that. We uh, always talk about it a little bit. You were talking to me? you were giving me like a Dickensian name. Nicholas, yeah, we, we know. <laughs> Nicholas Dalby beat up Oliveira, and I lost. I lost the uh, I lost our bet. I'm like nine fights down now. Nick, I am proud. I am proud of this fucking pick. This is one of those picks. That and I knew it. Few experts, and I knew it. I wanted to change you, you this. Said, I wanted to change both of my picks. Yeah. But. Did you really? Yes. When does that ever work out for us? I feel like every time you want to actually do change picks, I've never really, cha- I've never really changed it because I just, I choose to live with it. You know, live what I do on the podcast. You're the one that's like tap 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 and uh, tap 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 and on the text 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 to uh, you know late picks because you got some someone called little bird calls you from Vegas and tells you that some guy's got a fever. And it's never the right move to make. Uh, you have changed. You have changed picks before, and whatever I've been doing, nine events up, Nick. I feel like I'm doing just right. Oh, you're John yeah, Phillips you're doing, ran you're through. Doing great, I'm ready to tap out. <laughs> um, John Phillips ran through Alan Abadovsky. Ran through. Just smashed him several times in the face and called it a day. It was a pick 'em. It wasn't going to be technical, but at least it was exciting as fucking short, Nick. I appreciate that. And and you know what? Despite the fact that that uh, John Kavanaugh couldn't get us a win with the highly highly touted Gunnar Nelson, he was able to have John Phillips swing a whole lot and get a win here. So maybe he's not the absolute worst coach in the history of all mankind. What do you think, man? I think there's there's shepherd's pie in Dublin. <laughs> all right, good talk, good talk. Uh, Mahmoud Muradov, Nick. I don't know if you got to see this fight against uh, Alessio DeCherico, another Italian that didn't do so well. Mahmoud, man, looked really good in the first two rounds. Really slick, good footwork. Wasn't able to finish Alessio, but he looked good in the first nah, 10 I like minutes. The, I like he, him. I like the striking Uzbek. He looks like your more handsome younger brother. Oh, he's he is handsome indeed. Um, and how much younger is he than, than the... Uh, he's, tw- he's, 20, he's 29. Actually. 
Oh, that cocksucker's five years younger than Jesus, me. Jesus, why I feel like you? Ancient. Sorry. Sorry, too too far, huh? Um, Ismail Nardiev, Nick. Beat Sierra Yeah, Bahuda, he came Bada, back. Bada. He came back from that, that really lousy chance, uh, fight he had against uh, Chase. Uh, um, I always mess up that guy's last name. Conra- Chase. Uh, Who did he lose uh, to? Or Chance Run Country. Yeah, Chance Run Country. That, I'll never remember that name, ever. Um, yeah, he, yeah, he got I, mauled I in it. that fight, but he looked real good against C- uh, Sahar Bahadur. Bahadur. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to. Who had who's yeah. who looked real good in like World Series of Fighting or wherever he was uh, like ages ago, but he's has not looked real good in, in the UFC since he knocked out Paul, uh, Paulo Tiago, and that seemed like it seemed. Uh, I was gonna say it seemed like a hundred years ago. It was only seven. It was only seven and a half years ago. CR looks every bit of the fifty-eight years old that Yoel Romero actually is. And Yo Romero looks like he's closer to CR's age, if you ask me. It's it's rather fascinating. CR's only thirty five, by the way, but he looks old, man. He looks like he's weathered, and he kind of fights like it too. Yeah, he fought in well, shoot, though. Did he? Fought, he never fought in World Series of Fighting. I don't know why I thought he did. Um, no, I don't think he did. I I think maybe it was Strike Force. No, not Strike Force. Uh, Sengoku back in the day. Yeah, he fought in Sengoku was, and and Shuto. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, he floored. He floored Paulo Tiago, and anyways, one and one, and he lost an error. One and two, beat Brandon Thatch, two and two, three and two, four and two, lost to Melender. Three and two. I mean, it's three and four in seven fights over seven years in the UFC. On, you know, I thought he was going to come in, and be, the way that he he, he uh, face-planted Paulo Tiago, I thought he was going to do more, but... Yeah, you would you would hope. Unfortunately, that didn't work out for him. He's probably getting close to uh, on his way out in the UFC. Ismail Nardiev, however, looked pretty damn solid. The Austrian I, Wonder Boy I is wonder, no joke. Yeah, he's a he's a young prospect, and I hope the UFC takes some care with him, man. Like the worst thing you could do, seemingly in the UFC, is come in against a big favorite and get an impressive victory because they will keep throwing you to the fire, man. Like it's almost like a. A ho hum decision for a prospect on his debut is probably best case, man. Yeah, no, you're not, you're not, you're not wrong. That was the case with him. I'm, I'm glad he got somebody that's a little bit more manageable in this matchup. I hope they still slow roll him because he didn't finish the guy, luckily, and I think that might be good for him. I, yeah. I hope they give him the slow roll. I just want to know man. the story because he's, he's Chechnyan, but lives and fights out of Austria. And Grozny is, is probably anyone who actually listens to this show knows. With Ramzan Katarov and with uh, the Akhmat uh, Fight Club. Anyway, there's a there's yes. a serious gym in Grozny. I'm sure that I'm sure that the, yeah. I'm sure that the gym in Grozny is better than any gym in Austria. So I just wonder why a Chechnyan national I'm, is fighting I'm, out of Austria. I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure it's that simple. Um, but I, I'm fairly certain he trains with the Black Zillions at this point, which is really what matters, if you ask me. Oh, so he doesn't train. He doesn't train on Salzburg. Yeah, I, well, I'm sure he does training out there, but I think the training camps happen with Henry Hooft and the crew down there in okay. Florida. Definitely looking forward to seeing him fight. I'm, I'm trying to think of who I'd like to see him face next, man. Um, at the very bottom, maybe like a Darren Till matchup. Is Darren Till at 185 now? Yeah, Darren Till's at 185. He's fighting Calvin Gastelum. Darren Till's way That's too right. high for, right. for this guy. Uh, sorry, what's too high? He's way he's Darren Hill's ranked way too high for this guy. Yeah, you you I guess you're probably right. Um Neil Magny maybe? Nah, Neil Magny's out Anthony, Neil Magny's out for drug suspension. 
Oh, that's right. That is right. He's on that team. I almost forgot. Yeah, 170 just looks like a fucking Shark Tank. The entire top 15, man. Like, it starts with Neil Magny and then Vincente Luque. How the fuck Luke, is Vincente Luque in number 14? Uh, Luque's booked against, uh, against Wonderboy for November 2nd. No, I, I know. How the hell is Luque still number only number 14? Like, and the list I'm looking at, he's, he's 17. Um, so, I mean, that's just crazy talk. The guy, The guy is... I don't know. He's, he's certainly within the top 15 material. I think he, he can be ranked above Ben Askren, who's never truly beaten anybody I at mean, the top. And there's a lot of good guys. I would, I would put him in against Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Yeah, I'm into it. I, or, I am into or, it. It'll be, hang it'll on, be wait, exciting as fuck. Or, I can't role. remember his name. Um, ah, Bilal Muhammad. Bilal Muhammad's a crafty motherfucker. Oh, nothing, um, nothing, I tend to, nothing for that joke? Why? Because you forgot his because name. Pretty- we always forget the <laughs> we always forget the guy's name. That was pretty funny. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't pick it up as a joke because sometimes I forget people's name. That can not only belongs or um, Brian Barber. Giga- actually, Brian Barberina. That's who I want to see. Yes, I am. That's in. The I have sold Nick. You have done it, Nick. I think it's safe to say that uh, you are the veteran matchmaker. I'm a really, I'm a, I'm a really good matchmaker. You're a better picker. I'm a good matchmaker. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely safe to say. It's because I'm a, mar- I'm a Giga, marketer. Th- that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, Giga Chikadze beat up Brandon Davis, man. Brandon like knew to go for takedowns but couldn't do it. The guy's 10-8. and eight. Let's face it. He's kind of very mediocre. Even though he had a couple of decent moments against prospects like Magomed Sharipov, he's 1-4 and four in his last four fights, and... That includes, you know, losing a decision to a UFC debut- debutante whose wins are over guys with a combined record of three and fifty-seven outside of Brandon Davis. So, but how do you feel? Though, super how do you him feel if you're him? He's, um, you know, he's fought three times this year. He did get a submission just in April, but in the last five weeks, he's lost two UFC split decisions. I mean, yeah. winning a split I mean, decision is rough, and to go through it twice in six weeks, five weeks, holy. Uh, I, I will say the Giga fight split decision, like the fact that it's a split was a gift. There's no reason why that should be a split decision. I'm not, I don't know if you got to catch the whole fight. The Kyung Ho Kang fight, I'm not sure that he deserved a split decision in his favor. Like, oh, like, I know. Both I fights. Know. I'm just thinking, the judges are giving him too much credit. Yeah, I know. I'm just going through the. I'm thinking about him from the. I'm being. I'm displaying what's known as empathy. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel. Like I'm not familiar with the term. Well, you should get some for the next the loser of the next fight because she had never tasted defeat before. That's Macy. Oh, Nick. I am the one. I am the one who needs empathy. Nick. She was in two of my parlays. Oof, this I, fight. Killed I thought you had me. a feel. I thought you mentioned last week that Lena Lands. That people were underestimating Lena Landsberg. Um. She just. I mean, look. She, I, I, oh, damn. Chazan yeah, got. Go I mean, what happened was, I mean, Chazan won the first round clearly, and she muscled her up against the cage pretty well, and she did all right. But Landsberg didn't go anywhere, and she no. didn't get. And she didn't get tired, or at least she didn't get. It as, also seemed like Landsberg. She was more dynamic and more experienced and more crafty standing up. Macy hit a lot of her weaknesses with her athleticism and her power. There's a lot of things that I did not notice. And look, maybe Lena Landsberg deserves more credit than she's been getting. I mean, she has a 10-4 and 4 overall record. I think maybe every one of the four losses were in the UFC. Well, three of the four losses are in the UFC to Cyborg, Aspen Ladd, 
Yana Kunitskaya. Let's face it, these chicks don't suck, Nick. Like, oh, no, no, no. They... If you look at her record now in retrospect, the girl she's lost to, it's not that disappointing. She's got wins over Evinger. She has on uh, Gina Mazzani, who's not awesome, but was five yeah, and one at okay. the time. Just, Lucy Pudilova, who's a crafty chick. I think it was a, I think it was a rough style matchup too. I mean, she was a craftier veteran who's got essentially the same size and strength, and and you know the the youth and the brashness and the aggression. Um, once once Macy didn't get her out of there in the first, she didn't have a plan B. No, she really didn't. And she trains at Fortis MMA, which is, in my opinion, one of the better kind of up-and-coming camps. Um, it wasn't enough, man. No matter what they yelled at her, it wasn't enough. She didn't necessarily have the – she didn't have the experience. Maybe she didn't get there early enough to acclimate Nick. That could easily be a factor because she did, you know, despite how little true MMA technique, I guess, she used in that first round. She did win the first round. So – she had oh, the yeah, ability to do well here. She just very like things... clearly won the first round. Yeah, and Lena Landsberg is from that exact part of the world. So for her, it was really very comfortable to be there. Um, Macy Shehazan flew in maybe a few days ago. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a factor. And I wouldn't be surprised if these two girls rematch in a year or two and we get a different result. I think Shehazan has a, a much higher ceiling. And again, could be, I still believe she could be champion with all the raw yeah. physical tools that she has. Uh, I hope that Fortis MMA is the camp that's good for her, and if that's not the case, I hope she figures out which one is. Yep. Next fight was super um, depressing for me. Um, Bonata looked, oh, yeah. looked terrible. So, yeah, Lando Bonata had nothing uh, for me, and Diakizi from the bell looked just looked terrific. Super crisp, came out with those nasty calf kicks, um, really terrific combos. Looks like a completely different fighter in his last two fights. Uh, than his previous his previous ones where he was where he seemed to be telegraphing everything, he was just smooth, smooth and natural, and looked fantastic. I had zero criticisms to make about Mark Dicasey's game. Landed a couple of takedowns. Um, just he fought a perfect fight, and Venata had no answer for anything. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. He looked spectacular in his last two. Joe Duffy is no joke any way you put it. The guy's a legitimate 155-pound fighter, and he was able to out-hustle, outdo him, even got top position and did well from there. Landon Venata, it seemed like everywhere he was a step or two ahead. Look, I, I liked his win over Joe Duffy over Lando Venata's last win over random Brazilian who doesn't at all have a ground game or has ever put on jiu-jitsu gi. Um, Nazar Hakparas, Daniel Hooker, and Drakkar Close are really fucking good fighters, Nick. That's who Drakkar Close has lost to three in a row. He did change his style. He alluded to it in the interview after the fight in the octagon. And, you know, he's he's doing what it takes to win now. It's not all about just being exciting. And I think that's the right way. If you want to go far in the sport, uh, unless you want to rely on just bonuses from Dana and hope that he really likes you and really hooks you up a lot of the time for your exciting style, you want to go far, you have to win fights. And Lando Venata is not a loss that Jack Casey could afford if he ever was going to become a top uh, fly, flyweight that he was promised to be when he first debuted. Let's face it, Lando Venata is not a good fighter. Uh, I agree. He is now he is now two and four in the UFC, and one of those two wins was to an aging John McDessie, who he caught in the very first round with a wild wheel kick. It was an awesome knockout. But pretty early, I wonder how that fight would have played out had it gone more than uh, one round. And then Marcos Mariano, who absolutely sucks. He took him down and submitted him in the very first round. 
otherwise, David Tamer is a good fighter. Tony Ferguson is elite. Drukar Close, Mark Tayakasi. I mean, yeah, these are good names yeah. that he's losing to. The but, next, he needs a but, top I mean, twenty-five opponent. He hasn't really had a top twenty-five yet. I give him Nick Lentz. I give him a guy who's had a fight, had a has a schedule open up with BJ Penn uh, retiring. I give him Nick Lentz or or Rustin Kavalov. He's got to show that he can that he can hang with a real grappler and create distance. I agree with you. I think that's fair. I think Nick Lentz is a great style matchup, and I think that's the right kind of test for him. Great goddamn call. You are the matchmaker, sir, and you've done it again. If I going to fight um, again, I give him like Dung Hyung Ma. Yeah, or, I think that's reasonable. Kama, Somebody, somebody's Kama, not very athletic. Or Kama Worthy coming off of that knockout of Devontae Smith. That's a good goddamn style matchup. It'll be an exciting fight, worst case, and we're going to see if Karma Worthy just got a lucky knockout yeah. or if he's really worth something. That's great. Nick, uh, matchmaker extraordinaire. I'm into it. Uh, Jack Shore picked up a win over Nolan Hernandez. Yeah, no, just grounded nobody, him repeatedly. Nobody gives, nobody gives a shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Jack Shore's supposed to be a real prospect. Yeah. He's 12-0, and 0, uh, undefeated. He might uh, be. Made his UFC debut in impressive fashion. He's got a serious following in that part of the, uh, that part of the world. So I think we're going to see more of him, especially in that region. He's probably going to end up being kind of the Jake Matthews uh, of that region. Good reference, since we'll be talking about him shortly. Um, yes, sir. We're going to take a break. Speaking of, Nick, let's take a break, come back, and talk about UFC 243, where Robert Whitaker goes up against Israel Adesanya in the main event to defend his middleweight championships. We've got Ally Quinta, Daniel Hooker, Taitu Vasa, Sergei Spivak, a couple of other decent fights, and then kind of an empty card, surprisingly. We're going to talk about all of that and more after this. And we are back to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, here to talk about UFC 243, give you our prognostication, our predictions for the entire fight card. Nick, an interesting fight card, like I actually thought it was pretty stacked when I first looked at it. It turns out it's pretty bottom empty, pretty top heavy. Yeah. Um, really, outside, outside of that main event, this would be kind of a, a like a Melbourne, Australia fight night card. This would be Maybe a, on a, fight a pass. free like fight pass card, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it lost. The, remember, the it lost thing. Holly Holm, who's big in Australia. Who's you yeah, know? Remember did. Holly Holm knocked out Rousey in Australia. Um, That's right. So remember, thinking like a marketer. Uh, so they lost. I like it. They lost that fight, which was a big. You know, say what you want about Holm. I'm a bigger fan than you are. She's not done. She's a, she a name. she yeah. hasn't done a whole lot of winning, but she's a. But she's still a star. Um, yeah, I actually didn't realize that Holly Holm versus Raquel Pennington matchup was supposed to be on this card, Nick. That's a good call. I think it was supposed to be yeah, the that, that certainly would have helped a bit. Even. That makes sense. Uh, although, kind of surprising over uh, Aya Quinta and Dan Hooker. You're right, though. Holly Holm is considered a star. She's considered a name coming off that Ronda Rousey win. Uh, and she's still casting off of it, if you ask me. But we do have the card that we have. The MMA gods couldn't allow that pretty high-profile women's bout to happen on this one. Robert Whitaker, Israel Adesanya, Nick. These are two of, I think, by far the best strikers in the division. Both guys super exciting. Both ha- both guys have a really high output. Both really riding a wave in their career, unlike any in the middleweight division at the moment. Israel Adesanya is 
In this matchup, he's got a 6.5-inch reach advantage over the champion. Whitaker is undefeated, though, at 185 pounds as well. And obviously, Adesanya is as well in 17 bouts. Adesanya is going to walk in here with a 4-inch height advantage. Like I said before, 6.5-inch reach advantage, which I really think is significant. Who do you got in this one, man? What are your thoughts? It's a really tough call. I don't know. I mean, it's pretty much the odds makers have it as a pick em. My instinct is that after watching Gastelum Adesanya have a war, that Adesanya is a very, uh, a very tough and resilient guy and obviously an extremely skilled striker. I got to believe that after going 10 rounds with Yoel Romero, that Whitaker, Whitaker's, I think, I think Whitaker has, a, has an edge in durability and I think that he, I think Gastelum landed a good amount. And I think that Whitaker lands more than Gastelum and probably hits just as hard. Um, so I, I see, I see Whitaker ca- like probably catching Adesanya, um, maybe against the cage or going, uh, or, or kind of like backpedaling. Uh, off of the cage and getting caught with maybe a hook or a hook and a straight. Um, so I think I think Whitaker is going to knock him out in the third or fourth round. It could be this. It could. Wow, it could be the second. It could be the second. I just I think Adesanya is terrific. I just have seen I've seen Whitaker. Um, yeah, I just I feel like so far I've seen Whitaker survive uh, crazier stuff, and I think if he has to, he could probably get this on the ground, um, where he can potentially do some you know do some damage. I just think about how strong Romero is and how Whitaker held his own with him across against ten rounds, and it's just like I just don't want to underestimate what a feat that was, and I don't think I don't think it sapped him of all of you know he didn't take a bad knockout or anything. I don't think it's like diminished him so that's that's my gut i think whitaker's gonna hold on to the strap yeah you and i actually disagreed about the gastulum whitaker matchup i thought that whitaker would have the edge in that one and you gave the edge to gastulum unfortunately the fight never happened i still feel that way strongly but i'm not sure if it's that simple against israel adesanya adesanya Showed a lot in that last bout against Gastelum, and, yep. and, and, I, and I wouldn't have even considered picking him had he not had that sort of performance. I think one of the keys in that one was that Gastelum was faster than Adesanya. He's more, he's more explosive than Adesanya. It's not like Adesanya has crushing power. It's that he times the strikes well. And he often catches you when you're off balance or when you're leaning into his power shot. And that can make all the difference, and that can lead to a knockout. Even against a guy who doesn't necessarily have insane power. And he does have snap to his punches. And certainly plenty of power to his kicks and knees that Asanya does. Robert Whitaker, let's face it, he's been looking spectacular. He he's got, beat Ro- he's got better Romero stamina twice. than Gastelum. And if Gastelum had stamina, he would have he would have finished Asanya in the fourth. Well, I mean, you might you're pro- I don't know you're probably right about the about the stamina. He probably has better than Gastelum, but. Israel Adesanya truly came to life in that fifth round against Gastelum. He did. He's a winner. He's a winner, and he's he's great. But Whitaker has beat Yoel Romero twice. I agree, but Whitaker looked exhausted in the fifth round. 
of that UFC 225 main event against Joe Romero, the second bout. Um, this was a, a little bit more than a year ago, so he's been out for that long afterward. He's, oddly enough, Nick, as crazy as this sounds, he's the younger man here at 28 against the 30-year-old Adesanya. But he's got some miles on him at this point, I think. Bobby Knuckles does, because the thing about it is that there's a genetic element to many many aspects of the fight game, right? You can have a, a good or bad chin. You could have heavy hands or, or you know, pitter-patter punches. You can have fast-twitch muscle fiber or slow-twitch muscle fiber, and that'll make the difference between how explosive you are. Another factor happens to be your durability and, and your ability to avoid injuries, your, your body's ability to withstand the training that it needs to to make it to fight after fight and avoid most injuries. Bobby Knuckles has been dealing with a lot of injuries over the last several years. Um, he had a canceled bout against Luke Rockhold uh, back in 2018. He had a canceled bout against Kelvin Gastelum back in 2019. He's been out since that win over Yoel Romero for a year and a, a few months now, a year and seven or eight months, I think. I don't know if he's going to have the ability to withstand as much punishment as Israel Adesanya showed that he can and still keep on ticking at just about 100% of that fifth round at least judging by that last bout. The thing is that Yo Romero doesn't throw very many strikes. He basically took those first two rounds off against Bobby Knuckles, like he usually does. And Robert Whitaker was able to out-hustle him and out-strike him and, and do that explosive push-kick thing and, and outdo Romero. And when Romero really tried, man, he hurt Knuckles a couple times. He hurt Whitaker a few times in that fight, man, specifically in their rematch in that second bout. And Adesanya, I think he's going to have the opportunities to hurt him occasionally. I do very much believe in Robert Whitaker's mental game. That guy will not give up no matter what happens. He also, no matter he also what hits injury, no matter really what. hard. He hits really hard. We can we've seen Adesanya buzzed. I don't know that he hits I don't know that he hits as hard as Gastelum Nick with his hands. I think he, he used to with his left hook he used to be so heavy. But he's changed the style. He's become more of a pitter patter. Offensive fighter, in order to in order to be able to pull that off of five rounds time and again, you can't really have the kind of output that Whitaker is used to and throw full power. It's damn near impossible. No, he's he's got a couple of nasty head kick uh, KOs also. Yes, and, 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 and remember, Gastelum caught yeah, Adesanya and almost almost knocked him out with a head kick. And Gastelum's like five six. That is that is very true. Um, that is very true, but. Robert Whitaker was hurt several times against Romero. And Israel Adesanya is going to throw way more strikes per round than Romero did. And yeah, but Romero you know, hurts everybody. Every single when one he, of his strikes. Romero hurts everybody when he touches them. Everybody. That is true. Adesanya does too when you let him hit you clean. Especially with his knees. Especially with his kicks. Yeah. Because he doesn't only have punches. And that's really most of what Romero has. Right, the the takedowns were yeah. going to be a big factor. Well, Gastelum ate now, everything here's the thing. for a couple until the Gastelum made everything for a couple of rounds, and by the fifth though, it was just he just got lit up. I don't think, yeah, yeah, you're right. He was exhausted by that fifth round, but I don't think Gastelum. And part of the reason he was so exhausted is because Israel Asanya really fucking picked it up, man. But here's the thing about Gastelum, he's never lost by knockout. Never. That was one of. In fact, in fact, I don't know if he's ever been knocked down, Nick. Well, not, before, not before this fight with fight, Israel yeah. Adesanya. And and that says a lot, man. Israel is showing more and more power, seemingly, in every one of his bouts. Well, um, he showed, only he showed serious power once, against... And, and it was a welterweight. True. 
True, but then he got knocked around and knocked down several times in the last bout. Now, I'm not saying that Israel's Adesanya is necessarily going to finish Whitaker unless his body really goes out on him. But I do think he's going to be able to cut the requisite angles. I, I actually watched one of his losses in glory. It was for the championship against Jason Willis, if I remember correctly. And Jason Willis actually uh, fought and beat one of my old training partners, Wayne Barrett, who was also in the top five uh, of the glory uh, middleweight division. And and I, like I, I believe in Jason Willis. He's a high-level fucking Dutch kickboxer. And... Honestly, you could easily make the argument that Israel Asanya won that fight. That was one of his only two losses in all of kickboxing. And he's got 30, 30 40 fights. Um, this fight is predominantly going to stay standing up. Robert Whitaker can take people down. I don't know if he can take Israel Asanya down. And he doesn't really generally go for takedowns. So, And that's not to say that he can't. It just means that it's not to say that he's not going to in this bout. It just means that he's not practicing getting clean takedowns in the octagon. He hasn't done it in forever. Uh, I don't think Israel's Adesanya is going to make that very easy on him. I think Kelvin Gastelum is a better wrestler than Robert Whitaker. Not that Kelvin yeah, would beat Whitaker, but I think just purely wrestling, uh, he's better at it. And and Israel did really well in that regard. He did get taken down clean in that third round after he like was fully confident that he could defend all the takedowns. But outside of that, it wasn't looking all that great for him. I honestly think Robert Whitaker probably takes the first couple of rounds, and then the next four rounds are going to decide the fight. Because I think throughout those first couple that Robert Whitaker, uh, either either they're going to be extremely close rounds or Whitaker's going to edge them out. In those first couple of rounds, Israel's going to rack up some damage. And again, Whitaker's injury rate, the fact that he was knocked around in his last couple of fights, he went 10 rounds against y'all fucking Romero, man, and, yeah. and like got a knee broke. And he breaks and, his hand. And he does break his hand. You're starting, you're, talk, yeah. you're starting to talk me out of the pig. And, and I need you to understand something. I am rooting for Robert Whitaker. I like Adesanya too, but I am rooting for Robert Whitaker. I went into this breakdown looking for ways for Whitaker to win, and I believe that he can absolutely win the bout, like you said, because of his output. I favored Adesanya for those factors specifically. That fifth round against Gastelum really made an impression on, on me, especially compared to the fifth round that Robert Whitaker had against Yoel Romero. So, yeah, I'm, I'm edging... I'm edging toward the style bender here. I will be rooting for Whitaker. I believe he genuinely is currently the best middleweight on the fucking planet. I think if it, if he can keep, stay from being injured in any serious way in this fight, and that's not including concussion, he can get hurt and he'll get right back up and it's like nothing ever happened and he'll still have plenty of gas left. So I'm not worried about that so much. It's just, like you said, his hand, his knee, his ankle, etc. I'm picking Israel Adesanya, but I will be rooting for Robert Whitaker. If Adesani can pull this off, though, we could be looking at the next absolute biggest star in MMA, especially with Conor McGregor slowly washing out. Yeah, it definitely, definitely could be. Um, all right, let's go. Let's dive deeper into this card. Is it, it the slippery slope into mediocrity? It goes, but then the Kumi event's pretty exciting. I like both of these guys yeah, a lot. Is. We've got Raging Ally Quinta, the part-time real estate agent from Strong Island, against the Kiwi Dan Hooker. Um, who's, uh, after taking a beating from Edson Barbosa, uh, floored somebody in his last bout. Who did he knock out, Vic? Was he on the, yeah, he, he, on the big he knocked out James Vic pretty yeah. badly. So, yep. um, I know what I'm doing in this one, but what do you, what do you, what do you say, Stan? So we've got the 32-year-old Iaquinta going up against the 29-year-old Hooker. Iaquinta with a record of 14-5, and five, Hooker 18-8, and eight. pretty comparable records. Although Hooker picked up a few of those losses outside of the UFC, which isn't necessarily uh, striking his favor. Hooker has a five-inch reach advantage, which is fucking significant. Um, and he's finished 
his last 12 wins, Nick. Iaquinta's last five fights have gone to, I'm sorry, four of his last five fights have gone to decision. And that one that didn't go to decision, he got finished in by the taller man in Donald Cerrone. I don't think it's the same kind of style matchup. I actually think that there's a fair chance that Ray Janelle will be able to get takedowns here. Um, I'm going to side with Hooker's momentum, man. The guy's been blasting through some folks. And I know he lost to Barboza. I know he lost to Jason Knight, Yara Rodriguez, Maximo Blanco. And that's just in the UFC. I, I know that he's shown weaknesses against some of these guys. And that Barboza one in particular is kind of worrying considering where Barboza is in his career at this point. He kind of got beat up in that one. But I'm still going to favor him because I didn't like Iaquinta's performance against the last tall fighter that he fought. He wasn't really able to naturally pressure Cerrone, which means that in all likelihood he's going to get pressured by Hooker. And Hooker is dynamic. He's dangerous. He's going to explode with heavy offense into Iaquinta. I know Iaquinta generally doesn't get knocked out. He generally gets submitted if he does get caught. I favor Dan Hooker here by some sort of a finish. Wouldn't be a surprise if Iaquinta successfully wrestles his way to a decision, though. What do you think? Um, how tall is Hooker? Hooker's 6'2", I think. Six feet tall, actually. All so, right. actually, there's only a two-inch two inch height uh, disparity. He's an inch taller than Masvidal. Um, yeah, that's not, not as significant as I thought, to be fair. You know... I I think that Iaquinta is you know probably has a chip on his shoulder after the after getting touched up by Cerrone. I don't think Hooker has near that uh, that combination uh, uh, combination game or uh, or tempo game or fight IQ um, that Cerrone has. Um, and I think Al Al showed me a lot in the Kevin Lee fight. Uh, as far as as far as will to win goes, and he's always been he's always been very durable. Um, I know we're going to be in Hooker's hometown. I it's, oh man, this one I think this one's going to be really close also. But I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with the East Coaster. I'm going to go with Ally Quinta to um, get, achieve some level of redemption following his defeat from Cerrone. Yeah, he's going to need it. And for the record, in this bout, like like the main event, I will be rooting. For the guy that I'm not picking, I will be rooting for Al. I like the guy we had trainers in common on the on the come up after he left Militech Fighting Systems. I joined them and and we became American Top Team together and and so th- there's a little bit of lineage in common that we have there. He's an East Coast guy. I'm rooting for him, but yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going with the hometown guy because I think the crowd might be a factor there as well. But this is exciting, man. We've got two fights, two disagreements. Goddamn good start. Next up, we're probably a little bit more likely to be on the same page in this matchup, Nick, as we have Taitu Vasa, who's 10-2, going up against Sergei Spivak, who is 9-1, his one loss coming in his UFC debut against the kind of recently surging Walt Harris. Who do you have in the matchup between these two guys? Taitu Vasa, obviously more experienced, but a little bit touch and go in the UFC so far, and Spivak coming in with a knockout loss. Yeah, I am... You know, Tevus has lost uh, two in a row. He had that close decision against Blagoy Ivanov. He had the the loss to JDS. Um, before that, he, you know, he had a run against some pretty good competition. Um, I think this is as close to a gimme fight as you can give a, a hometown UFC guy fighting a guy fighting a guy who uh, who hasn't won in the UFC yet. Um, I don't think that uh, Sergei Spivak is. Uh, the guy to beat the extremely durable uh, Tuivasa in his, uh, you know, his home part of the world. 
I just I just don't. I think this is. Uh, I know they don't. The UFC doesn't do like gimme fights, but I I think they uh that'll be a major upset if Bivak pulls this off. Yeah, I think it'll be quite an upset. I, I agree with you. The guy's durable. I think he's going to be the much more fast, much more dynamic fighter here. On top of all of that, he's fighting in his hometown. Both these guys are in their mid-20s. But I don't expect a whole lot of long-term upside from Spivak unless he's fighting a pretty mediocre opponent as he has on the come-up. And that's what earned him that 9-0 record. Um, I agree with you here. I've got Taitu Vasa, who is two years older, an inch shorter, uh, going to have a three-inch reach disadvantage, but he's going to cover that distance quickly and explosively. And I like for him to go for a shooey right after the fight, Nick. Um, next, we've got a local guy, Peewee. Luke Jamo is taking on the other Lima brother, Diego Lima. Jamo has one UFC victory over Daishi Abe. Um, actually, no, that's not true. He has two. He also beat Dominique Steele. So he's got a couple of decision wins in the UFC. Lima, on the other hand, uh, his, you know, his brother's going to, I think, fight uh, Rory McDonald again. Um, has recent has split decision win over Court McGee, one of the kings of the split decision. And he knocked out Chad Lepree. Uh, before that, he lost to Jesse Taylor and Yushin Okami. So, you know, he's got uh, he's got some bigger names on his resume. And I think he trains with his brother, which is good. But he's also traveling an awful long way. And Jimo's the home the hometown boy. My Lima's favored, minus 150 to plus 130. Uh, what do you see? I like Diego Lima a lot. I think he's a really skilled guy. But he has a major, major genetic issue that he just can't get around, man. His chin, Nick, it reeks of suckitude. He can't take a heavy, clean shot for his life and stay standing. Court McGee is not a guy that's known for his stand-up. And I think I ended up picking Diego Lima for that reason in that last bout. And Diego Lima dominated because he's the more athletic, faster, bigger man. But when Court McGee landed once or twice, Nick, Diego Lima dropped, and Court McGee does not hit fucking hard at all. And I know Diego Lima, he he survived it, and he won the decision, but I'm going to go with Luke Jamal, who I think will be out-hustled in every department of skill in this one. I just think he's going to need to land one heavy shot on Diego Lima, who's got a 3-inch height advantage, a 2.5-inch reach advantage. He's a year younger. Lima's got more UFC experience on paper He's got it all in his favor, but his chin, man, it's going to be such a liability. I'm picking uh, Luke here, but I can certainly see Lima grounding him and, and keeping out of danger and surviving to a decision here. But again, it's like he gets hit once. Um, I think exactly. I picked him over the same reason that and just being hometown. I think it's a winnable fight for the, for the local boy. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised if Lima traveled in just a few days before the fight anyway. Next up, Nick, we've got a matchup between Jorgen De Castro, who is 5-0, going up against Justin Taffa, who is 3-0. Nick, both of these men are undefeated. Both of them have won all of their fights by knockout. Both are making their UFC debut. What is your prognostication for this one? On this one, I the, the pick I made was uh, Taffa. I'm all about uh, Justin Tava. Dude just looks, dude just looks mean. He looks like Mark Hunt's little brother. Um, I mean, three and zero, you know, uh, but he's got a bunch, all of his wins are by knockout. So I'm assuming he's got some uh, some ferocious, some ferocious fists. 
uh, Jorgen is fighting out of Cape Verde, where we haven't really heard. I can't think of another Cape Verdean, um, you know, fighter that I've heard of. And he's got no uh, new UFC bouts. Couple of finishes, a decision, really low records for all of his competition. Um, when you look at the records of, uh, of Tapa's competition, you kind of see the same thing. So it's not much of a um, much of an advantage there. But I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the local guy. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you here. I actually made a mistake in saying that both guys want all of their fights by knockout. You're right. It turns out that uh, Jorgen de Castro has one decision victory on his record. Yeah, I'm on the same page as you. I could absolutely see this going either way. Jorgen de Castro has sick fucking leg kicks, Nick. The guy finished his contender series bout by knocking the guy down with leg kicks. He lands sometimes three, four heavy leg kicks in a row in succession. It's the most fascinating thing. Justin Taffa, though, I think he has a extensive Muay Thai or kickboxing at least experience. Really dynamic offensive hits really hard. Jorgen Castro does too. This is going to be pretty exciting, I expect, unless both of these guys gas out and then hug each other for the last five or six minutes. I'm with Justin Taffa, but I wouldn't at all be surprised if Jorgen de Castro caught him before he gets caught. I'm not sure that Justin Taffa has the longevity to go to a decision, whereas Jorgen de Castro at least has done it before. So I'm on the same page with you, but I could see it going either way. Uh, an interesting matchup coming up here between Jake Matthews and Rostam Akman. I don't understand this one. So Rustam Achman, um, they just fought. They just had a Copenhagen card, and they got a Swedish guy flying in, flying to Australia. Like they couldn't get him on the Copenhagen card. Um, also, you know, worldwide, he's like a num- he's like nearly 150th ranked. Uh, Jake Matthews, 34. So I, I wonder a little bit about the matchmaking here. I think that uh, even though he got choked out in the third round against uh, uh, Tony Martin in his in his last in his last bout. Still some impressive victories, including one against Jing Liang Li. Um, before I get into my my uh, little argument, what do you uh, what do you think? I've got Jake Matthews here all the way. I remember watching tape on Rostam Akman before his fight against Sergei Kudzovsky, and I just felt like most of his fights were kind of low level. There wasn't really there wasn't really that refined technique, that smooth transition from striking to grappling, etc. Even though you do see them go everywhere. Jake, the Celtic kid, Matthews, is pretty legit. He's still only 25 years old. And despite the fact that he's coming off a loss to Tony Martin, who, by the way, is, it was on a serious win streak at the moment with wins over Sergio Marais and Ryan LaFleur, Kaden Nakamura, you know, losing to him isn't a whole lot to be ashamed of. I expect that Jake Matthews should be able to clean up here. Yeah, obviously Jake Matthews. <laughs> Definitely same page on that one. Uh, next up, we've got a matchup between Callum Potter, a local guy uh, who is 17 and 8, going up against Maki Patolo, who I think is from Wainai, Hawaii. Yeah, I don't think he officially trains with Max Holloway, but I do think they've spent time training together. He fights together. out of Oahu, and he's, yeah, he's with a different gym. Coconut Bombs is his nickname. Callum Potter actually is a guy known more for his ground game, but Coconut Bombs, Patolo, more known for his dynamic explosive strikes. He actually is a little bit touch and go in his record. Like when you see him win, he looks pretty damn fucking solid. And then he just get like he, he can get caught by just about anyone, it seems like, at any point, and just knocked out or submitted, as Dakota Cochran and Cassius Kane showed. He's on a three fight win streak at this point. He's actually fought his last fight, I believe, at 185 on contender series. Nick fought a much bigger man and knocked him down with 
liver shots just kind yeah, of from the punch. clinch. Pretty powerful striker this guy is. Uh, and Colin Potter's the guy with the ground game. Can Colin Potter repeat that submission that uh, Patolo experienced at the hands of Dakota Cochran? What do you think? Um, you know, Dakota Cochran's nothing to... He's had a pretty good run. Um, I agree. He's a pretty uh, good fighter. So I... My instinct here is to take the Hawaiian bomber. I like uh, I like Maki Patolo, even though he's uh, you know he's doing a bit of travel. Um, actually, no, if he's fighting out of Hawaii. It's not as it's uh, it's not too bad, I guess. But um, I think this. Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually not sure how long that fight. Yeah, uh, I think this is a fight where the local guy is actually gonna get gonna get beat as a tough as a tall order. Um, so yeah, I'm picking Maki Patolo. I'm there with you. It's actually a 10, 11 hour flight um, as with a stop as much as 17 hours, Nick. So might not be all that close after all, but probably much better than traveling from the East Coast. Um, I'm on the same page with you. I like Patolo when he wins. He's just like really dynamic, really explosive. Colin Potter's 35 years old. He's got a good ground game, but he's not very athletic, not very dynamic, and not necessarily all that durable. Although I, I do feel like he's improved in the last couple of fights. I've got Maki Patolo here, and I expect for him to become kind of a mainstay in the UFC and to and to be a, a go-to guy for kind of a main card opener, somebody that's going to have an exciting, exciting striking battle with whoever his face is. He's a finish or get finished kind of guy, Nick, and and uh, he's already been five rounds in at least one bout. So guy's got a decent amount of experience on top of the fact that he spent some time in the training room with the likes of Max Holloway. I believe Yancy Medeiros is a frequent corner man of his. Uh, I've got him here all the way as well, Nick. He's 28 years old to Colin Potter's 35. I like the younger man here. Cool. We got uh, four kind of undercard fights left. Uh, the next one we're going to discuss is the most consequential and I guess interesting. Um, you've got Megan Anderson. Um, I'm not sure if she fought since she lost to Holly Holm. But she's taken on uh, Zara Farron Dos Santos. Yeah, she has a loss to the young lady that just lost to Cyborg. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's right. I watched that. She just got, like, mauled and taken down and didn't get back up. Yeah, I think, um, but still, even though she hasn't looked great in her in her UFC bouts, um, she, you know, she's big and strong and can strike. And it's, I think that's what her opponent is going to try to do against her just not nearly as well. I think this is like I think 